0: co-founder and CEO of Renegade, a digital marketing agency based here in New York City, and author of a really excellent book called The CMO's Periodic Table, A Renegade's Guide to Digital Marketing. In sales, the emphasis over the past few years has migrated to sales as a service. Salespeople provide a service in the way that they deliver value to the prospect to help them make a purchase decision. But now we're starting to hear about marketing as a service, and changing the focus of marketing from being message pushers to value providers. So what that means for marketing and what it means for sales within a company whose marketing is a value provider is one of the topics I'm going to tackle with my guest today, Drew Neiser. Drew, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Andy, it's great to be here.
0: Well, thanks for coming. So take a minute and you know, fill out that introduction that I started with.
1: Well, uh, so uh, I run an agency called Renegade, which I've uh, owned outright since 2008 when I bought out my uh, partners Densu. And yeah. we service there, yes. yes, exactly. And we service uh, chief marketing officers. And as a way to ingratiate myself uh, with CMOs, I started writing about them. And I wrote about them and wrote about them. And it was a helpful way for our, you know those CMOs to get some exposure. And it started a conversation. And it eventually, it got to hey, Drew, what what's Renegade do? And you know, we got we got business out of it. But the surprise and the unexpected benefit of all those interviews was it was like i'm spock and this is a vulcan mind meld and i literally just just felt like i sucked out the brains and the it wisdom from all these different marketers in the last five years i probably interviewed over 150 of those and 64 of them uh actually made it into my book and and so here we are that's uh you know the world according to Drew condensed into uh uh you know a soundbite. Well that's good that's good. What well, no it's funny.
0: you say that about the interviews because I feel the same way about this podcast is you know selfishly I I'm learning more than my than maybe the wisdom the amount of wisdom I'm imparting through it just from all the guests that I've had on. We've you know right now you know, we've already published uh, 100 episodes by the time we're recording this, and by the time this goes out, this will probably be around 150, 160, and so, um, yeah. Gosh, it's, like I said I, I'm learning a lot.
1: No, it's it's amazing, and one of the things, the exercises that I found that sort of solidified the learning was once I. Uh, you know, doing the interview is one thing, but then writing about the interview and and trying to break it down into a story even further uh, really makes it, you know, sort of turns it from words on a page to ideas and, and a case in your head. And what I found is that suddenly, you know, let's say that someone has a content marketing issue uh, and they're in the B2C space. Well, I said, well, let's talk about how Richard Marnell at Viking River Cruises handles content for some inspiration, right? Mm-hmm. Well, well, boom, you know, Suddenly, that's a credibility uh, and you know information that I can share with a client, and it's it's sort of perspective that would have been impossible to have based on on our client portfolio. It's like no, you know, yeah, absolutely. like a lawyer having read every precedent that there there is before they go into the courtroom, right? Yeah, uh, and or so,
0: or remembering every precedent.
1: Yes, exactly. And so <laughs> anyway, in the, the the periodic table was. Uh, a way in some ways to give back because, you know, look, our clients, the best clients are ones that do their job well, right? And, you know, there's no school for CMOs. Uh, There's no educational program. They just sort of grow up and suddenly, hey, you're a chief marketing officer. And, And so, you know, what we've discovered is that no no CMO is perfect. Uh, The ones that really are successful are the ones that sort of have figured out, okay, I'm really good at this. I need people around me that are really good at this. I need to do a few things well, right? Set the agenda and follow through on certain things. And so this book and the process of organizing it helped me also understand, okay, what are the basics that every CMO needs to do, right? And those are in the basic elements. And then if we go all the way over on the other side of the periodic table, what are these outstanding sort of, I, you know, I call them inert fundamentals that are you know my biases to what I think makes a great marketer uh, and noble pursuits and you know things sure. that that I think are are really impressive because they not only help the businesses grow but they don't create you know what I call ad pollution. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> right. Well, so so let's you know take a step back and talk about marketing as a service. As I right. said in the open, I mean this is this is uh, something that's sort of come and gone a little bit in sales, but it's it's coming back more and more. I mean hopefully more and more too, as we're trying to see is how successful we get with it. That you know, the way that you win a customer, you know, there's the whole you know, people buy from people they know, like and trust, but you're really providing a service helping people make a decision. And well, yeah, if if marketing is doing the same thing, it seems like it opens up some really interesting panoramas for collaboration between sales and marketing. So let's talk about what you think about when you say marketing as a service
1: well it's it's taking so the difference in in my mind and this is a funny one i just wrote this the, today is is this question of you know is selling about the seller and marketing about the market right so for a moment. And well, hey,
0: yeah, in some cases it is, right? right? And Unfortunately.
1: Then, and then if marketing is about the market and marketing is romance and selling is consummation, then I'm in the romance business. And and the service these days is really a great way to think about romance and, and getting a customer involved. Whether it's B2B or B2C, they're going to your website, right? They're going to check it out or they're going to find content out there that exists that will help inform and educate them when they finally come to make a purchase decision. uh, If you played a a role somewhere along the way that helped them, whatever it was, uh, get something in it. By the way, it doesn't have to be your product or service. That's the wonderful thing about marketing a service. I mean, I'm sure you do this. I'll meet a client. I'll find out they're really into fly fishing. I'll see a video on fly fishing or mm-hmm, a book, mm-hmm. I'll send him the book on fly fishing. Right. It has nothing to do with it. But what it does is that's his passion. Uh, and so we've connected on that passion. And I said, look, I care enough about you as an individual that I'm going to share this with you. And look, and if we end up doing business, great. If we don't, that's okay too. But, you know, so there's a, it's a very um, customer centric way to do it. Now,
0: sure. But that, would you the example you just gave us sales though.
1: Yes. so well, so
0: how's that translate then into marketing? All right
1: so let's go to let's, because, and just
0: so people understand where I'm coming from is that you know marketing we perceive as you know billboards and ads and magazines that serve this mass
1: right so you the, know,
0: one to many as opposed to really what you're talking about when to me I hear about a service I think about it as a one to one.
1: okay so let's take a billboard that says buy my product today versus the temperature is 50 degrees get your raincoat. One's a message, right, mm-hmm. by my product. The other is a service that I got your attention, I gave you something of value. And oh, by the way, now that I've given you something of value, feel free to Uh, you know, turn on the weather channel or to do something based on that information, that service that I gave you. That's Mm -hmm. a very simplistic example. But let me give you the one I uh, I talk about in the book, which is John Hayes and American Express. And they've been doing this for 30 years. They figured out very fundamentally that if small businesses grow, their business grows. And that's exactly the way it works. Mm -hmm. So, they think of ways to help small businesses grow. So one of the most, uh, you know, I think profound ways they've done that is in something called Small Business Saturday. It's now in its fourth year. Um, It is a fundamental service. They created a day that the world focuses on small businesses. Then they add elements to it, like, hey, spend $30. on your first $30 that you spend on small businesses is on our card. There's another sort of service that they provided to, fall you know put their money where their mouth is they tell the small businesses exactly how to support small business saturday so they've educated them on how to promote this major event and they've allowed all sorts of other companies to come in and and celebrate small business saturday so they don't even own it necessarily they've Mm -hmm. created they've created a movement that is fundamentally a service for small businesses to compete with cyber monday and you know black friday So that, to me, is a quintessential big-scale marketing as service that started with a very fundamental notion of how can I help my customers grow. That, to me, is such an enlightened perspective. And if you start every conversation and every interaction with this question of how do I help my customers grow… And one of the reasons that I write about chief marketing officers is so that I can help them do their job better, right?
0: Well, yeah. And also that question is such you know, a fundamental question on the sales side as well, because if you're a sales rep and you're thinking to yourself, while you're with the customer, what can I do that can help this customer grow as opposed to what can I do to sell this product?
1: Exactly, and so again, it's that- just
0: a fundamental difference, and it it sort of calls to mind, you know, in the book, you have the interview with Jeffrey Hazlett, who updates the four pillars of marketing, you know, from product, place, price, and promotion, with the fifth one, which is people. And it seems to me this really is sort of the exemplification. of That it's like it's about at the end of the day, you can have all the process you want, but it ultimately boils down to a person buying from a person.
1: I think you know. I certainly think that's true. Um, we like to buy from from people we know and trust, in the same way with brands and how do ba- brands build trust? And there's a lot of ways of uh, for service opportunities out there. I mean, this and what's interesting is they become standard in the industry. What somebody was the first mortgage company to have a configurator that said, "Come here and we'll help you figure out how big a loan you can get." Right? Mm-hmm. Whether you should have a 15 year. That's a service that they're providing. Well, you know, 10 years ago they didn't have that service. Uh, and so, the, the, what's happening is that the standards of expected service, and so, one of the things I talk a lot about, not necessarily in the book, but before you can get to marketing as service, you actually have to have service as service. <laughs> in other words, you have to have a standard of service that is acceptable in the industry, right? Let's say you're marketing to Hispanics, and you better have somebody on the phone that can speak Spanish, right? That's a level right. of service that's expected. So, you have to have service as service, and once you've sort of met the industry, standard for whatever service is, whether it's online chat or, you know, then you can move up to this next level and you can say, all right, how do I forget messaging by my product? Here's a great mortgage to how can I help you get in your home? right? How can I help you pick out your next home? How can I do these things that will enable you to get, you know, as they say, nobody wants nobody wants a mortgage, they want a home, right? You know, it's the old, hmm. I, I don't want to drill, I want a hole cool, in the right. wall, right? And and so there's this interesting, uh, and so the service, again, to me, is an enlightened perspective, because the worst that happens is you perform a service.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, that's right, right. The bottom line the worst is the you-
1: The the worst Whereas you can do ads that alienate people. You can do ads that don't get a reaction to people. But when you focus on a service, we had a program I write about it in the book called the HSBC Bank Cab. It was HSBC came to us and said, we want uh, New Yorkers to believe that HSBC is a local bank and to fulfill this uh, promise of the world's local bank. So help uh, New Yorkers feel that even though our initials stand for something else, help us. Uh, do it. And they said, well, maybe you could give out, you know, uh, shamrocks or or uh, on, on St. Patrick's Day or Statue of Liberties, right, on July 4th. And we said, well, maybe we could do more. Maybe there's a service out there. So we created uh, a checker cab uh, called the Bank Cab. We did a search for the most knowledgeable cab driver in New York. We put that cab, this luxurious checker cla- uh, cab on the road. And for, uh, I think, 11 years, it provided free rides to HSBC customers. And so there it was. It was a marketing that was a service. Mm-hmm. It also, you know, it was a billboard because you drove sure. around New York. But fundamentally, those folks that got in the cab were five times more likely to recommend uh, HSBC than those that hadn't. They, you know, they called at minimum four people after writing and said, "You won't believe it. It's like winning the lottery. I got a free ride in a cab today." I mean, you so know.
0: Would they have to like put their ATM card in the door for it to unlock or something.
1: No, no, they just sort of they flagged them down and and they'd show their card and if they we're not a customer. Johnny uh, would pick them up and say, hey, I'll take you to the nearest uh, uh, HSBC branch, so at least they could you know, get what Whether you want to <laughs> or not. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we were pretty generous about that. Uh, but it was one of those things that that just is a, such a great example of a service that is marketing that I, I like to point it out just because it, it frames it for people who are trying to figure out what are you talking about?
0: Well, and also so much of that, what you're talking about, really has become enabled by technology. And so it's almost like there's no excuse not to do something like that these days, given how inexpensive technology is and the ability to do something like that. You know, as you said, maybe even just a weather board with a with a thermometer on it, right? Temperature reading on it. That that could be it. And the same is true on the sales side. It's it's we're moving into this era where increasingly it seems like so much of sales is dominated by you know, mass calling, uh, you know, mass email, undifferenti- flood of undifferentiated messages. It doesn't really take much to do something that really sets yourself apart.
1: Well, it doesn't. But it it takes a commitment to wanting to be unique uh, and committing to a strategy. I mean, I think one of the important things in all of this is. Uh, you know, marketing is not about one-offs and they're about campaigns. And, and so uh, we talk a lot here about content marketing campaigns Mm -hmm. versus, you know, sort of a post on this and a post on that. So it really does, uh, a brand needs to commit and an individual needs to commit to a uniqueness and not you know, better or faster, or cheaper. But what is it that is essentially uh, differentiating uh, on a grand scale? I mean, you know, I mean, there's nothing like IKEA, right? There's just nothing like it there, mm-hmm. and and every aspect of their supply chain and the way they sell is is such that supports their uniqueness. And so, individuals can be. You, you know, unique in terms of the, how they present themselves. I mean, the extreme case is writer Tom Wolfe, who always wore white, right? <laughs> That's an extreme visual example of uniqueness, and you, you'd never miss the guy no matter where he was. But uh, I, I think that whether we're talking about personal strategies or business strategies, you know, figuring out what it is that uh, makes you unique, then the service follows so easily. Uh, and, I, and I, you know, I can give you another example of that, if uh, of a small business that I, I love. It's not in the book, but it's just a great story. Sure, go ahead. So, uh, I'm on the board of the co-op in New York, uh, and we had to redo our hallways. And so, we had three vendors come in, and we asked them questions about, you know, how do you do what you do? And the first guy says, well, um, we do lots of things. We do buildings, and we do restaurants, and so forth. And then we said, well, how, what's your process like? And they said, well, well, we start from the top and work our way down. I said, well, is there anything else you'd like to tell us? No, no, here's our bid. So, I said, okay, great. And then, we, you know, the second guy pretty much said the same thing. And then the third one came in and said... Uh, well, well, you know, what do you do? And we said, and we asked, what do you do? And he said, um, we only do hallways for co-ops and condos. And by the way, you always start at the top and work your way down because uh, gravity is your friend. And by the way, here are the first 10 memos that you're going to want to send to your shareholders uh, about uh, the, the process because you know there are lots of complaints mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we want to minimize. And finally, we take 10% of the budget and we put it into cleanup at the end of every day because the single biggest complaint is dust. Right. Do you have any questions? <laughs> So, you yeah. know, there was the easiest decision. Where's the contract, ever, right? Yeah, right. Where's the contract? But when I asked him afterwards, I said, gosh, I can't believe you only do that. And he said, yeah, well, and how long was that? And he said, we started doing it about uh, like five years ago. I said, it was a hard at first. He said, oh, my God, it was terrible because we had to turn down all this business. But he said, now we win seven out of ten of our, our pitches. We don't have to do outbound. It's all inbound because everybody knows we're the only guys that only do hallways and we have construction crews. So there's incredible efficiency. So we generally win on priced as well, but we make more money.
0: Yeah. Be- well, and so, I mean, there's a really interesting lesson there that, that, uh, we're going to come back and talk about after the break that applies to sales and because it's, it's, um, Well, we'll talk about it. It has to do with sales marketing alignment. So with my guest, Drew Neiser, we'll be back right after this break. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandcell.com to learn more about how Connect and sell can start filling your pipeline today. So, welcome back with my guest, Drew Neiser. We we're just talking about his great story about a construction company in New York City that uh, learned how to really identify and nail the niche that they could sell to. That was really their ideal customer profile that really helped them become incredibly competitive. And you know, one of the things that, that we're finding in sales these days, and at least in business-to-business space and oftentimes in technology fields, but not exclusively, is and it's to that point, but it's that you know, products are so rapidly commoditized that in the customer's mind's eye, is you know, all the products basically look alike. Right. And so you've got some Attempts at differentiating happening at the marketing level and so on. But by the time get people get through going through all the content marketing, all of the all of their websites and so on, they're like, hmm. You know, it's almost like toss a coin. And so increasingly it really becomes the sales rep. That's that front line of differentiation. You know, just like this guy you spoke to at the co op in New York. I mean, they could have done that a different way, but they were you know they obviously had that that presentation nailed perfectly. So how how does sales when they're not being given that assistance by marketing how how do they you know how do they differentiate that I mean how can they sort of become mini marketers themselves to do that I'm at, I've got some ideas that you know I talk about in my books about it's really about how they sell the product along the lines of your your uh, example in New York.
1: Well, you know, I, I think that you know uh, the better the salesman, the more likely they would want to work for an organization that is fundamentally interested in being unique, right? Um, that's that's one because uh, if the if the product that they're selling is in fact unique, uh, then their and the commitment is there. Then it you know it the the salesperson's efforts will align. But
0: they but all let's- they all think they're unique though. That's the thing. I mean, I'll take tech an example. You know, I interview a lot of CEOs and founders of tech companies for this show and sales technologies you know companies selling into the sales space for sales tools and yeah they all think they're unique
1: right well and then they're not but they yeah just- well that, that's a different uh, that's a different issue so then I, I would imagine that the sales guy uh figures out um you know where the most fertile territory is, what the highest propensity to close is, and tries to, you know, focus their energy on um, that customer profile that right that is most likely to close, right? I mean, I would think that's where they would focus. I mean, you know, the definition of a strategy is knowing who you're not going to sell to. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, right? absolutely. And,
1: right. and so, the, the better that the sales guy is, the more likely they'll have an inherent understanding of who it is that appeals to this. And they do the segmentation themselves. And then the the uniqueness is 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 through that, right?
0: Well, part that, it's through them, though, too. Right. This is the part that I think is really interesting, is that the this whole idea of the personal branding that's becoming more and more important yep. is I'm a firm believer in the idea that, as I've said before, is the first line of differentiation in any business-to-business sales situation is the salesperson.
1: I think you're right. And,
0: and, and so you talked in a book a couple of interviews with people you had about you know, one of the really critical things for success over the long term is consistency and sort of your core values. Yeah, what do you as an individual? As an individual. So, how do you figure out what you stand for?
1: Well, you know, it's funny. I actually have a, a personal uh, brand workshop and a, and a strategy document that I've I've run a couple sessions with CMOs through the CMO club and you know, you, you do it very much like you do it with a brand. You know, what what are your objectives? Uh, you know, what is it that you think makes you unique? And I and I talk about, uh, for example, if you think you're a creative CMO, and that's the thing that makes you unique, is that you're you know a propeller of of creative uh, big ideas, then. You better be committed to doing so, and have a portfolio of of examples, and and a willingness to take a chance and to take risks, right? But don't say you're a creative, you know, that, that your brand is creative, and then you're you know you're basically a, a numbers person who can show you know revenue growth, right? Uh, and so I, I think it is some of it is projecting. You don't have to you you know you can have aspirational characters to, uh, characteristics to your personal brand, but you really have to get um, Ultimately, you have to be able to back that up, right? You have to be able to say that, uh, you know, if I am this type of salesperson, like, uh, my word is gold, right, or mm-hmm. all, all the customers that have done business with me have succeeded as a result of this, right, that, you know, that you have this 99% retention rate and my customer's lovely, then I want to see 100 customers that, that this individual could call, Right because you're the guy that every customer loves and can count on. So, I I think it and those are very those are broad. I think the differentiation has to come in uh in the insight and in the in it could be a category, it could be a um it could be just the way you talk. I mean, they there's oh, so absolutely. right? You could just be that southern storyteller, right?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think that 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 is so important, and you know salespeople need to increasingly and sales managers think of themselves as mini marketers in the sense of starting with that personal brand because like I said that is that front line. And you know the book's been published recently, the book published by a professor out of uh, Harvard Amy Cuddy talking named Presence, talking yes. about you know first impressions and how powerful they are. And I actually had done research, uh, not even knowing about her book into first impressions. I wrote about my second book because I think it's so critical. Is that people are making judgments about you and your your worth and your value based on the first two hundred fifty milliseconds of of dealing with you?
1: No, it's it's funny. I love that book, uh, and uh, and Amy's TED Talk is well worth watching as well. Um, and what's so interesting about what uh, she talks about? It's not just the, uh, the that first impression, but it's the self, uh, how the body affects the mind. Mm-hmm. and so you know she talks about spending 2 minutes in power poses before you go into that meeting uh so that you've you've psyched your body you know your body has told your mind you are powerful you are superman you are wonder woman right <laughs> and so you go in and your posture is better and you're standing up straight and and you feel good now uh, importantly and she talks a lot about this that is no substitute for uh that is no substitute for knowing your product and Knowing your target and doing your homework. But what she talks about is how many people don't succeed, even though they have all the skills they need to succeed, because they defeat themselves because their body language is bad, because they don't trust Absolutely. their instincts. Absolutely. And so, this, uh, you know, fake it till you got it is this t- train your body to be a master of the universe. And then eventually <laughs> you will become a master of the universe. Well, that,
0: I mean, I, I agree with that 100%. I love the book. And it's, it's because I, I believe and I, this is why I talk about in workshops with, with uh, companies is, you know, I ask them. I say, "Well, so what was your margin of victory on your last deal? I mean, how much did you win by? Right? Yeah, did you win by five percent? Ten percent? I'm not talking about price. How much did you win by in the customer's mind? And the fact is, you, you only have to be one percent better to win. Yeah. And that one percent could be you're the Southern storyteller.
1: It's, it? it's I just... built
0: trust. It's the way you, you know the way you carried yourself in the meeting. It could be the tone of your voice and how you use it. I mean, there's studies talking about how people react to people's voices. No as being determining factor. So, you, know, you have to you have to focus on all these things, and they're all part of your personal brand.
1: Yeah, I mean, just walk around. If I, when maybe you can remember when you took your your kids when they were looking at schools and how they reacted at the school based on the male or female that was touring the campus. <laughs> right? That yes. impression that that individual represented all five thousand students. It's just yeah. hilarious. But it's but it's true. You're 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 right. I, I think that these things do. You don't have to win by much. You just have to win. Um, and if you look, what's so funny is you talk to consumers and brands and you say, okay, why do Buy the product, and at first they will give you the rational reason, right? Um, oh, I, uh, it was, uh, you know, it had better gas mileage, and it was a little bit uh, cheaper. But ultimately, there's an irrational a- aspect, oh, to yeah. it, which is I just liked it better. But you can't, you know, consumers are like trained when you ask them the questions in a certain way. Uh, they'll just, they'll answer like they did, uh, you know, in school and they'll try to give you the right answer as opposed to, and the rational because, uh, but we just don't behave that way. We make no, these not decisions all. Um, based on uh, trust and trust is an irrational notion.
0: Sure. Well, I mean, think about in sales, I mean, one of the things you're trying to do is, and you hopefully you're trying to do if you're a sales rep, is you're trying to think, okay, what's going to make my customer successful? Not just the company, but the, the person I'm dealing with, the one that's making right. the decision, the one that's the, the key influencer. Because if this doesn't work out for them, it's a problem.
1: Right. No, and it's, so it's, now you're thinking, okay,
0: people are then are, what's influencing their decision making? Well, part of it is, is this going to help me get promoted? Going to help me maintain, retain my job, help me get a raise? I mean, it's going to do something, Right. That, those right. are all emotions. Those aren't logic.
1: Well, and it's true. I mean, that's the old IBM. No one ever got fired for hi- hiring IBM. Yeah, that the whole was, fun it,
0: factor, right?
1: Now, and I, I think that's a really interesting and and fruitful area to sort of explore as you think about your your personal brand. It, yes, is how are you going to develop that uh, that trust? And you know, one of the things that that I talk a lot about when I'm with CMOS is. You've got two years. <laughs> that's the average. Maybe you've got three. And here's the thing. No one will – you will not succeed if you get a 2% you know, growth rate and, that's, and you did it through uh, direct mail and manipulating. You might keep your job. You might but if you take 10% of your dollars and create an innovation fund and you do something outstanding over there you might actually get promoted into the boardroom <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right and so you it's in in some ways there's this need to you know innovate or die and so you know my message to them and why why would they want to work with Renegade or or Drew is that if you're not thinking about that innovation factor not only do you not have a chance of getting to the CEO, suite, uh, the, you know, the CEO but you're not going to have a great story to tell when you get your next job.
0: Yeah, so, well, the same thing is true with a sales rep, right? Right. If they're uh, not thinking outside the box of how to be able to deliver value to their prospects. That stands apart from the competitors. Right. Then, yeah, they're not going to win that deal or mini deals at all.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. Or they, you know, I think there's this other thing, and I talk a lot about this. And this is again, I think the difference between sales and marketing, and where marketing and sales are often in an alignment. I've worked for with a couple of companies that were very focused on cost per acquisition mm-hmm. and getting the sale, and it didn't matter who was in the pipeline, right? They just got the sale, and and at the time we were doing the social media for two of these companies and they were just getting the customer, getting them in as cheaply as they could on deal. And we were forced to clean up the mess on social media. Mm -hmm. And, and the real, the fundamental problem was they were acquiring the wrong customers. Yes. Right. And so if you, If your sales guys are only uh, incentivized to buy the upfront revenue, right, as opposed to getting the customer that will have the longest lifetime value and will be the ones that will have, uh, you know, the strongest word of mouth, you have misalignment between marketing and sales. Absolutely. And that's a and that's a fundamental problem in organizations. And where it really becomes, to, uh, you know, where the rubber meets the road today is the leakage in the sales first strategies comes out in social media. It comes out in in, in word of mouth. And yeah. you know, you you've got this. Yes, we're growing on uh, you know ten percent sales growth in terms of new customer acquisition, and we have a fifteen percent uh, you know Turn churn rate. rate. Right. Yeah. and we're being and,
0: slaughtered on social media.
1: And you know, nobody's getting. You know the the marketing guys are getting screwed. You know, paying for the churn, and the sales guys are still driving the customers in the door. And so that's where these two things. You know, why I think organizations are increasingly saying, you know what, we need a chief customer experience officer, or the marketing person, CMO, needs to be thinking about that. because if we're if we have misalignment there, and you know you, you are what you measure, right? Mm-hmm. And so if if you're not aligned on a, we want to acquire the right customers that will, and and, and that's so the, the sales guys are incented for the right customers, and we want to provide this type of experience. Well, if you inquire the wrong customers, you can't get that experience right. Exactly. <laughs> and, exactly. and so it's a complicated thing. But, I, you know, there's so many things have been written on the alignment of marketing and sales. And, you know, I think it goes back to the CEO and that first chapter you talked about, Jeffrey Hazel, and in and, and managing expectations. Mm-hmm. What's everybody's job? How are they going to be rewarded? And what is it that you expect from you know, the salesperson or the marketer or the CMO or the head of sales. And, and if those things are not clear, if it's only top-line revenue, you're going to have pretty lousy marketing.
0: Yeah. No, you right? have to – as, as he said, you got to have a
1: shared vision of what that is that you're trying yeah. to achieve. And you better and – and it needs to be defined. And I yes. think one of the things that CMOs don't do necessarily a great job of is defining how do we measure marketing – in a way that can sort of translate over here to to revenue. Right. Which is the language of the CEO and the CFO.
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, good. Well, we're gonna thank for all that information. We're gonna move to the last segment of the show. I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And the first one is a hypothetical scenario. You've just been hired as a new sales leader at a company whose sales have stalled out. They really wanna get unstuck really quickly. Senior managers got their eyes on you and you're not going to have two years to do this. So what two things would you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact?
1: I would talk to the happiest customer and the least happy customer Mm -hmm. is number one. And and number two is I would find out uh, I would manufacture some news. In, in, in this sense, I, I need to find because if things have stale have stalled, it generally means that there you don't have a new message, you don't have a new product, you don't have something that is is compelling. So I'm gonna find a way mm-hmm. to have news. And it whether it's you know, just saying, Hey, this is three point one, you know, yes, you would but I'm gonna find a way to create some news so that I can restart the conversation with uh, prospects and customers.
0: Like it. Great answer. Very concise. Good stuff. All right. So I got some rapid fire questions for you here. You okay. can give me one word answers or you can elaborate. So, when you're selling, trying to get a new client, mm-hmm. what's the most powerful sales tool in your personal arsenal?
1: Every sales presentation that I start, I start with. Oh, I'm supposed to give you one word? Oh. No,
0: no, no. This can be.
1: Oh, good. Yeah, so, I mean, it could
0: be questions if you want to say questions, but go ahead. Yeah. So,
1: <laughs> typically, looking at the prospect sitting across for them and asking him what do you you know you've been thinking about this a long time what do you want to solve here and rarely if i would say nine out of ten times they grab the hook and they run with it and they tell you exactly what it is that they want mm-hmm. what they need and what the last three presenters did not provide
0: exactly great and, point
1: and then you you know then you customize your presentation i think the worst thing you could do is walk into a meeting and said here's what we're we going to present right here's, and here's here it is because they don't care they don't really care it's amazing they don't care who you've worked for they don't care that it's like do you are you willing to understand my problem and my challenge and you, can you help me solve it
0: yeah so here's and see what you're saying about this i mean here's the best advice i give to people about sales presentations So going in you know formal sales presentation I figure be in a conference room. Sit down, everybody. Don't stand up. Don't have a standing up. Don't have the slide projector on. You know, none of that. In fact, have your slides ready, but your best meeting is you'd never turn that machine on. Totally agree. And start I with can. start with that question. And then said, let them tell you where you're gonna go. And have your so like pro football coaches, you know, you watch them on TV and they're carrying these plastic sheets, and the commentators duly say every week. Well, they've scripted the first twenty five plays. Well, script your first ten questions.
1: Yeah. And who's gonna add who's gonna ask them, right? And why are you asking those questions and are, don't make them uncomfortable. Only one time in all the years that I've been doing that where I uh, asked the CEO, you know, where you know, what's keeping you awake at night, did not only not answer, um, but it made him uncomfortable. Mm-hmm and i wasn't swift enough to respond to sort of move on and but it was i knew the meeting was over i could have just stopped and yeah. i and I, I i should have because there would have been a moment to reverse that uh you know in in retrospect you could i could have reclaimed that one right um, but I just then went on, but I knew it was over. So, you know, you, you if you ask a question that puts a customer on the spot uh, and, and they don't like that, then you better be prepared to find another way to get them engaged and intrigued.
0: That's why you don't just have two questions. That's why you have Ex- ten. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> All right. Who's your
0: sales role model?
1: I'm going to take a lifeline on that. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see, my sales role model, um, Daniel Lebetsky. he's and- the, he's the founder of kind and, uh, he tells wonderful stories about when he, before even kind started, um, how he, uh, wanted to, you know, he was trying to get, uh, Zabars to, uh, carry his, mm-hmm. his Mediterranean, uh, creams, you know, these sauces that he had. And, uh, he just, went there himself and he, going, and he kept going and he kept going and he kept going and he would not leave until he got Zabar's. He had five places in New York City that he wanted to carry and he just stayed relentlessly committed to getting those because those were the right accounts for him.
0: Oh, I love it. Um, I love it. Yeah, yeah. refused to lose. That's a that's yeah. great one. Okay. So what's one book every salesperson should read?
1: Uh let's see. Oh, probably mine, of course. Sure. Um, but besides yeah. yours. Yes. And but mine. But besides mine. Um, so I just finished listening to um, presenting uh, like Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. And what I liked about that book um, was that it, it's, it simplified uh, things for me in a, in a way that I think really makes sense. The notion of having a, a headline uh, one that literally for your entire presentation, whatever it is, but think of it as, you know, like Steve Jobs talking about uh, an iPod and saying it's like 10,000 songs in your pocket. If you can write a headline like that for your sales presentation, and then you have three key supporting platforms for that, you are probably going to put together a really strong presentation that, because uh, people can only remember three things anyway.
0: Oh, exactly. Right. And and even so, that, not for very long.
1: No. And so, but the headlines, they remember forever.
0: And so that but, was uh, the one by Carmine Gallo?
1: I think that's right. Yes, yeah. Carmine Gallo. Yeah. yeah. And so I just, you know, that's, it's Perfect. not, it's, it's, it's just, top of mind and I've used it now several times. I went, okay. Because uh, I'm not as, as much a of Steve Jobs as a business leader uh, because he's such a unique individual. Mm-hmm. But I think his presentation methodology could be adopted by anyone who was uh, interested.
0: Okay. Now, here's the tough question. Okay. What's on your playlist right now?
1: So, I am listening to another, funny enough, I'm listening to another uh, uh, podcast on uh, on selling and closing, which is really interesting because it's not my thing. And then next up for me is a different look at, uh, the history of the United States. I'm a big history buff and Ben Franklin fan. And so I'm constantly listening to and reading books about, uh, the Revolutionary War and all the characters and in the the Founding Fathers. So
0: yeah, I've uh, got some. well trade recommendations. That's one my my period as well. Love but it. I really meant what music is on your playlist?
1: Oh, on my music playlist. So we recently got uh, an Amazon Echo, mm-hmm. and so we'll simply say to Alexa, you know, hit me with uh, you know 60s or 70s or 80s or 90s, and so it's just this vast. Uh, playlist. But I will give you one funny story that's that's great. My, my wife and I are, are on uh, uh, a tour that we call the See Them Before They Die tour. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we've been going to five to seven concerts each year to see um, bands from the 60s, 70s, and 80s uh, in, in, you know, in on a very before <laughs> they die. Uh, so, so, which know, was
0: the last one you just saw?
1: Uh, so let's see. Uh, we saw, we saw. Yes, we saw the Rolling oh Stones. Gosh. We saw Toto. We saw <laughs> Toto.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: <laughs> no, I mean, it's hilarious. So <laughs> we went, uh, uh, oh, and then we went to the Ju- Joan Baez seventy fifth birthday celebration, and you know, I mean, and by the way, that was um, not the the music quality was, was terrible, but the the event was wonderful. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well,
0: excellent. Okay, well, <laughs> Drew. I want to thank you for joining me. My guest, Drew Neiser. Drew, how can people find out more about you and Renegade?
1: So, you can find Renegade at uh, Renegade.com. You can find uh, lots of my interviews on the Drew blog. uh, And you can learn more about my book on CMObook.com.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you very much. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day and every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. Now, listening to this podcast is a great way to do that, because then you'll make sure you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Drew Neiser, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining us. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.